Guardian Unlimited. Questions to the Prime Minister. Marc Francois. Yeah. Number one, please, sir. Mr. Speaker, sir. Before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join with me in sending our condolences to the families and friends of the two servicemen killed in action in Afghanistan and Iraq over the Christmas recess. They were Lance Bombardier James Dwyer of 2-9 Commando Regiment, Sergeant Graham Hesketh from the 2nd Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's Regiment. We also send our profound sympathy to the family and friends of Sergeant Wayne Rees from the Queen's Royal Lancers who died at the weekend whilst on patrol in Iraq. They were performing vital roles in working for the security of our country and the wider world, and we send our sympathy and our prayers to their families. Mr. Speaker, this morning I have meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have further such meetings later today. Mr. Speaker, traditionally in this place, when a government backbencher refuses to toe the line, they're invited to a little interview without coffee with a government chief whip. But what does the Prime Minister do when collective responsibility has effectively collapsed and his own chief whip, aided and abetted by the Home Secretary and his own party chairman, has become a rebel over NHS cuts in defiance of his own health policy? I have to say that I unsurprisingly don't agree with him at all. Uh, MPs who are ministers are perfectly entitled to take part in local consultations. It's not even a local decision that's been made in the constituencies of my right honourable friends. What I would say is what is utterly absurd is to be in the position of the Conservative Party, which is to oppose having opposed all the additional investment in the National Health Service, now oppose each and every change in principle. Thank you, Mr Speaker. There was much speculation last week about the future size of the Royal Navy surface fleet. This has caused concern in my constituency of Portsmouth, being the historic home of the Royal Navy, coming on the back of the Naval Base Review. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the Royal Navy plays a fundamental role in defending our national security and that they should have the resources necessary to meet the vital tasks we ask them to do? I entirely agree with my, my honourable friend, which is one reason why we have, in terms of, of investment uh, in new ships, the largest warship building programme for many, many years in this country, and why, as opposed to the previous years, of the previous government, we are actually increasing defence spending in real terms year on year. But let me just say to my honourable friend, I also understand, particularly in respect of Portsmouth, that there are 17,000 people employed in the naval base there, including 8,800 civilians and another 26,000 jobs in the wider defence industries in the region. It therefore performs a vital uh, task, not merely for Portsmouth, for the region, but for our country's security. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Lance Bombardier James Dyer, to Sergeant Graham Hesketh and to Sergeant Wayne Rees. They died serving their country and we honour their memory. Yesterday, the police revealed that details of British criminals, including rapists and murderers, who've committed offences abroad, were sitting in boxes in the Home Office and that nothing had been done. Can the Prime Minister at least reassure us that all their details have now been entered on the Police National Computer and, where appropriate, the Sex Offenders Register? Well, as the right honourable gentleman will know, the Home Secretary will be making a statement immediately after I sit down, but I can tell him that the Home Secretary has been informed by the Association of Police Officers this morning that every one of the most serious 
offenders that they've identified on whom there is sufficient detail to be put on the police national computer have now been entered on the system. And let me just make one thing very clear, that up until, um, up until May of last year, there was no proper system, not merely in this country but elsewhere in Europe, for the details of people who committed offences in other countries to be given to Britain or indeed other European countries as may be. This situation then changed as a result of the decision that was taken by uh, the November 2005 Justice and Home Affairs Council. Since May 2006, the Association of Chief Police Officers have been working through all the cases in order to make sure that there is proper protection for the public. Now, um, let's be clear about what the Prime Minister has just said. These, the names of these people have been sitting in box files, and he's admitting today that not all of their details have been put on the police national computer. The Prime Minister has confirmed that yet again the government has failed in its central duty of protecting the public. Now, let's, let's also be clear. Of the 525 serious criminals, there are 25 rapists, 29 paedophiles and five murderers. Can the Prime Minister guarantee that none of these very dangerous people has been working with children since their conviction? The Home Secretary will make a statement in just a moment which covers precisely that point. However, let me just, let me just make one thing clear. Prior to May 2006, there were no proper details. Indeed, back before 1999, there were no details of any sort whatever kept. Between 1999 and May 2006, there were details sent under the voluntary system, the old voluntary system that used to apply in Europe. Very often, however, those details were not sufficient to allow us to identify people properly. That's why I said those on whom proper information was sent to us by other European countries have been entered on the police national computer. Insofar as insufficient details have not been sent to us, that is not with respect to the fault of the Home Office, but those people who have been sending the details from other countries. There was, of course, all the way through an attempt to improve this system. However, it was only when Europe took a decision to make compulsory what had previously been voluntary that we were able to deal with the backlog satisfactorily. Let's be clear. I asked the Prime Minister for a guarantee, and he simply can't give one. His answer underlines just how serious that is. There are rapists, murderers, paedophiles at large in Britain who could have got through the net and been working with children in the NHS or in social services or in our schools. He says the Home Secretary is going to give a statement, but isn't it the fact that the Home Office is part of the problem? Last night, last night the Home Office said the details of the serious offenders had all been entered into the computer. That's what they said. This morning, the Home Office Minister said they had not all been entered. Why does the Home Office keep giving such misleading information about such an important matter? It's, it's, it's not giving misleading information. As I explained to him, well, as I explained to him beforehand, whilst the system was voluntary in the rest of Europe, when they provided details on a voluntary basis, there were often not sufficient details to allow people to be put on the police national computer. Now we have a compulsory requirement. All those for whom there is sufficient detail, as I understand it, now are on the police national computer. Now, it is correct that it is important that we make sure that from now on, now there is a compulsory system in place, that all the information is entered properly. But prior to that decision being taken in Europe, there were some countries, for example, despite the fact that obviously we were wanting uh, greater amounts of information, who didn't provide that information. As a result of the decision, as I explained to him, taken in December 2005, that information is now given on a compulsory basis. 
The, the Prime Minister has completely failed to answer the question. Yes. Why is it that last night the Home Office said one thing and this morning the junior minister said something completely different? On taking office, this Home Secretary said he was going to have a fundamental review of his department. A hundred days later, he said, job done. But yet, we now know there are 500 criminals on the loose and his department did virtually nothing about it. Isn't it the case? that if one of these dangerous criminals is found to have been working with vulnerable adults or with children, the Home Secretary will not be able to run away for a responsibility for it. No one is seeking to do that, but let me... I, I, I thought I had explained the position to him, but let me explain it again to him. All the people for whom there is sufficient information are on the police national computer. But those who are part of the backlog of cases who, where the information was delivered to us when it was only voluntary, not compulsory, there may be some of those for whom there is insufficient information. That is not the fault of the Home Office. But in respect of those for whom there is sufficient information, they, I am now informed, are all on the police national computer. Doesn't this go to a much bigger problem about the Home Office? We've had illegal immigrants working in the Home Office, endless escapes from open prisons, foreign, police, foreign prisoners released and not deported, and now this latest fiasco. Let me make a constructive suggestion to the Prime Minister. The Home Office is a huge department. It's covering prisons, probation, immigration, criminal justice and terrorism. Will the Prime Minister take up my suggestion there should now be a separate Home Office Minister responsible for terrorism who sits in the Cabinet alongside the Home Secretary? We're now on our fourth failing Home Secretary. Wouldn't at least this suggestion give him some chance of doing his job properly? Yeah. No, I'm afraid I, I don't think that's the right way to proceed on, on, on security. And let me just make one thing clear in relation to abscons, which he also raised. Actually, abscons from open conditions are at their lowest level. Um, since we came to office. Abscons from closed conditions are at their lowest level. Indeed, well, let me just give in the facts. The facts are that prior to 1997, there were some 1,300 prisoners that escaped. In the 10 years since 1997, the figure is 137. And actually, in relation to Category A prisoners, there were, of course, several Category A escapes, including at the time that he was at the Home Office as an advisor, there have been no Category A escapes since we've been in power. Um, Mr Speaker, last year I had the good fortune uh, to be operated on by uh, Mr Ong U, who uh, leads an excellent uh, surgical team at the Liverpool Broad Green Cardiothoracic Trust. And I'd like the Prime Minister to offer some reassurances to people in centres of excellence like the Royal Green Cardiothoracic Trust and indeed the Walton Euro Centre that the funding and support which has been given hitherto uh, and has gained such marvellous results will be maintained in the future. Um, I'm sure that we will continue to make a strong investment in the health service in my Honourable friends area, as in others, and uh, can I say I'm delighted to see him back and well in his place in this house. Um, and I would pay tribute to... Um, <laughs> so that he can continue that vociferous support uh, that he's been giving over uh, previous years. But if, if I can say to him, I think that his, his example shows 
and this is worth just emphasising, when we get a lot of negative stories about the health service, there is fantastic work done by the National Health Service day in, day out in this country. The National Health Service is an improving service. It is improving as a result of the investment, but also as a result of the dedicated staff who he has just mentioned in his question to me. I join the Prime Minister in his expressions of sympathy and condolence. Given that the Prime Minister and President Bush are in agreement about strategy in Iraq, and that later today President Bush will announce the deployment of 22,000 additional American troops to Iraq, how many British troops is the Prime Minister considering sending? President Bush, as he's just indicated, will set out the policy for the United States forces, and in particular in respect to Baghdad later today. Let me just make one thing very clear, however. In relation to Basra, the situation is different in some very critical respects. First of all, in respect of Basra, we do not have the same Sunni-Shia sectarian violence. We do not have al-Qaeda operating in the same way, and we do not have the Sunni insurgency operating in the same way. As he knows, there has been an operation that the British have been conducting in Basra uh, over the past few months, which will be completed in the next few weeks. Um, That operation, I'm pleased to say, has been successful up to now. Um, That will allow the Iraqis to take over more and more control of their own um, policing and security in Basra. The purpose of the American plan, and it's for President Bush to announce it, will be precisely the same in order to allow the Iraqi capability to take over security progressively over time. But the situation in Baghdad is different from the situation in Basra. But the assumption behind that answer is that there will be no displacement of terrorist activity from Baghdad to Basra, which is an assumption which it is very difficult to draw at at this stage. At the weekend, the Chancellor of the Exchequer made it clear that he favours an independent foreign policy. Do we now have to wait for the resignation of the Prime Minister before we get one? In my view, the alliance with the United States of America, since I assume that that is what he is uh, attacking. The alliance of Britain with the United States of America, in my view, is in the British national interest. I think it is an important part of our foreign policy. I think there are two great relationships that Britain has in the world, one with America, the other with Europe. We should maintain both and keep them strong. John Butler. This is a start, so 2007 heralds the start of a new year. Will my right honourable friend make a... It does to us. Will my right honourable friend make a statement to the House on whether we will see a new and improved policy in Iraq? In respect of the British policy in Iraq, it remains as we've set it out in in, um, the weeks leading uh, up to today. However, once the operation uh, in Basra is properly concluded, then yes, I think it would be appropriate for me to report back to the House, and I would be very happy to do so. But I think it's right that that takes place at the time when this operation in Basra has been concluded. Many welcome the introduction of the police community support officers. In Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, 539 were promised and uh, were planned for and funding promised. Uh, only 333 will now be in place due to recent government cutbacks. Why is his government reining back on his promise to tackle antisocial behaviour? And isn't this just another broken promise? Just occasionally, uh, occasionally the the nerve of the Liberal Democrats takes even me by by surprise. 
I mean, I would point out to the Honourable Lady that Liberal Democrats have opposed all the anti-social behaviour measures. I, I think, I can't recall offhand, I think they even opposed the community support officers at the time. But what we have done and said to um, local police chiefs at their request is it's, it's for them to decide the best way to deliver neighbourhood policing. But we are going to deliver neighbourhood policing in every part of the country and in particular in her area, like others, there's been a massive increase in the amount of investment we put into the police. Stuart Bell. Since we've now embarked upon the German presidency of the European Union, can the Prime Minister tell the House what discussions he's had or proposes to have with the German Chancellor in relation to relaunching the quartet discussions and the peace process in the Middle East and building upon his own recent visit to the area? Um, I have discussed this uh, at, at length with the, uh, with the German Chancellor and um, there will be, a, uh, I, I hope, a meeting of the quartet um, in, within the next few weeks. But I think what is very important now is to create the situation in which we build the capacity of the Palestinian Authority, that we ensure that the Palestinian people have their suffering uh, alleviated, um, and that proper money gets through to the Palestinians for the basic services that they need, um, that if at all possible, we are able to get the release not just of Corporal Shalit, but also of um, the Palestinian prisoners likewise, and that in addition to that, we are able to set out a framework for political negotiation leading to a negotiated solution between Israel and Palestine. I hope very much that in the next few weeks we will be able to announce some progress on that issue. And that is, of course, an important part of the wider picture in the Middle East, which affects also uh, discussions in relation to Iraq as well. And when I said I would report back on uh, um, the situation in respect of British forces uh, in Iraq, I hope I will also better say something about the Middle East at that time as well. Andrew George. Um, in the last 40 years, the housing stock in Cornwall has more than doubled, in fact grown faster than almost anywhere else in the country. And yet the housing problems of local people have got dramatically worse. And in fact, last year in my constituency, five times as many properties were sold to second home buyers as to first time buyers. When will the government uh, give uh, areas like Cornwall the planning and other powers to make sure that families stand a chance of getting even a modest affordable home of their own? Yeah. Well, it is a, it's a serious problem in, in Cornwall, it's a serious problem elsewhere, and we have been obviously increasing significantly the amount of funding that we've given for social rented accommodation um, and social housing, and we've increased the funding of it um, quite dramatically, and also the numbers of homes. But the truth is, as he rightly implies, it's an increasing need. And that's why we're looking, for example, at shared equity schemes. I had a meeting yesterday um, with those engaged in providing social housing as to how we can increase the ability of um, the ALMOs and also the tenant management associations to take on uh, more of the burden of providing new social housing. And we've got to keep up that investment that's going to reach, I think, uh, by um, 2010, will be about, around about £20 billion that we have put into it. But, you know, we are looking constantly at new and innovative ways that we can increase social rented accommodation, but we have to do that, obviously, within the budgetary constraints within which we operate. Sir Peter Salisbury. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will be aware of Age Concerns Fight the Freeze campaign, which includes a call for the Government's excellent winter fuel payments to be protected and extended to help tackle excess winter deaths amongst the elderly. The campaign was taken up by the Leicester Mercury with an amazing response of over a thousand readers backing it within the first week. Will the Prime Minister join me in welcoming the campaign and will he discuss with his colleagues 
ways of safeguarding the future of winter fuel payments and making sure that they match rising fuel prices. Well, I, I understand the uh, importance of the uh, Leicester uh, Mercury campaign. I'm sure, as, as my uh, honourable friend has just indicated, um, of course we have provided a, an immense amount of additional help to pensioners. The £200 with the fuel allowance with a further £100 for those over 80, the free TV licences for the over 75s, um, the additional money through the pensioner credit that has lifted some, somewhere in the region of 2 million pensioners have been lifted out of acute hardship over the past uh, 10 years. But we constantly look to see what more that we can do. And I know that the campaign that he has just drawn attention to will form an important part of our considerations. Wilson. If budget deficits, ward closures, redundancies and cuts in patient care constitute the best ever year for the NHS in 2006, can the Prime Minister tell us, will 2007 be just as successful? First of all, let me just point out to the uh, Honourable Gentleman that last Friday we had the lowest figures for waiting lists since we actually had waiting lists. 400,000 down from what we inherited. We had a report on heart disease that shows that we're saving tens of thousands of lives a year. We've got the best cancer provision that we've had for years and years. And in relation to the workforce, let me just point out to them that we have got almost 300,000 extra people, including 85,000 extra nurses in the National Health Service. And finally, let me point out to them that his policy is actually to oppose the investment in the National Health Service. And what is obvious from the Conservative Party today is having opposed the investment, they now oppose any change that will actually deliver better services for patients. Could I, could I tell my right honourable friend that Conservative Barnet Council has obtained only a tiny number of antisocial behaviour orders, a very poor record compared to other authorities. Residents are frustrated by the Council's timid approach and the police are concerned about delays and adjournments at the magistrate's court. What can my right honourable friend do to achieve greater consistency towards ASBO applications and results to ensure everyone has the same protection from the OBS who make their lives a misery? Well, I think, I'm afraid it's, it's, it's really in the end, it's a, it's a shame if local authorities, such as the one in, in my honourable friend's uh, constituency, are not using the powers that are available. But those powers in relation to anti-social behaviour orders have had a dramatic difference in different parts of the country where those um, orders are being used. And there was recent publicity given to the fact that 50% that of them are breached. That means 50% are working. That is a massive achievement in respect of any uh, aspect of, of this type of punishment. And actually, of those that are breached, more than half of those people go to prison. So there is a tremendous amount that can now be done in local areas through the new antisocial behaviour legislation, through the new powers that have been given to the police. And I think my honourable friend is absolutely right. Those powers should be used in future by local authorities. And if they're not being used by local authorities, then local people know what to do, which is vote Labour. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister is making a statement today about national security in Northern Ireland. Will he assure the House that the measures he is announcing will not in any way compromise national security or undermine the capacity of our security services to combat terrorism, whether domestic or international? I can certainly give the uh, Honourable Gentleman that, that assurance. And let me make it clear. It is actually in the interests of our security services and in the interests of local civic policing that we make it clear that MI5 has not 
going to have anything to do with local civic policing. That is a matter for the um, local policing authorities. But we will, of course, do nothing that compromises the security of this country. Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Prime Minister, share the widespread concern around the world at the unilateral action of the United States in bombing Somalia yeah. a couple of days ago and again yesterday. And does he not think that this bombardment will merely intensify the already desperate situation for the people of Somalia? And what is required is not foreign intervention, but a peace process within Somalia. Well, I agree with him to this extent that, of course, what is, what is um, in the interest of everyone in Somalia is to have a peace process that works properly. But he will be aware of the fact that some of those um, extremists who have been using methods of violence in order to get their way in Somalia pose a threat not just to the outside world but to people in Somalia as well. And I have to say to him that when we look around the world today in different parts of the world we can see this global terrorism. It is a clear ideology, it is a clear strategy and I think it is right that wherever it is attempting to warp local decision-making and prevent people getting the type of life they want, we should be there standing up and supporting those who are combating that terrorism and giving people the chance to live in better circumstances. Mr Speaker, last month the government made two announcements affecting Hertfordshire. First of all, that we should build houses for, to accommodate another 190,000 people. And then on the other hand, that we should cut our health services and close hospital wards. Could the Prime Minister tell me whether this brilliant combination was deliberate or just the usual ministerial incompetence? Yeah. I have to say to him again, just to point out the, 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 the facts, that actually there has been an immense amount of additional funding, as he knows, into his local health service. In fact, the, the amount of funding... Well, it, it is the, the, funding, the funding increase has been somewhere in the region of 30%. And actually, the new uh, PCT will have increases of over, of over £100 million. Now, in any health service, there are going to be changes necessary to give us the best type of services for the future. And that applies in his constituency as elsewhere. And as I say, I, I really do believe whatever um, short-term campaign the Conservatives may mount, they're losing all credibility by ending up by ending up, in principle, opposing any changes in the health service at all. And as for housing, let me just point out... Order. Let, let the Prime Minister speak. On housing, let me just point out that whereas he and other honourable members in the Conservative benches are opposing any extension of housing, his shadow chancellor has made it absolutely clear, and I think I'm quoting when he says we need a supply of new housing, particularly in the... Well, I suppose what he's saying is we need more houses but not in his area. I don't think that's very practical. <laughs> Speaker, in Wakefield, we've seen the number of uh, students getting five good GCSE classes increase from 37% in 1997 yeah. to 57% yeah. this year. Yeah. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating the students on this great achievement and their teachers and parents and, of course, the schools in Wakefield who are amongst the first in the country to all achieve specialist status? Yeah. Well, I certainly am, am uh, delighted to give my congratulations to the, the schools in, in Wakefield and to all those who've worked so hard to raise standards. But let me just make it clear that in respect of five good GCSEs, whereas in 1997, fewer than half, in other words, 45% of pupils got five good GCSEs, the figure is almost 60% today. If we include English and maths, the figure used to be 35%, it's now over 45%. But I think the most remarkable fact is, is this. 
that when we came to power in 1997, there were over 600 schools where there were below 25% of the pupils getting five good GCSEs, and where there was just 80 schools in the whole of the country. I'm going to finish in plenty of time. Today the figures, below 25% are 47 and above 70% are over 600. A dramatic reversal under this Labour government. One bit topic. Not wishing to be cheeky, Mr. Speaker, I thank the House for being so happy that I'm so very, very lucky. Um, and, I, and, I should, and I should point out that the other sister is still single. Now, turning to, turning to, the, more serious, turning to the more serious matter of motor neuron disease, the Prime Minister has received hundreds of letters praising his, and indeed, his health minister's shared vision to cure MND. But does he know that Britain spends over £241 million a year treating those with MND, so a cure is also a prudent financial investment, saving literally billions of pounds as well as thousands of lives? Can he therefore say when the government will decide whether to match fund the £7.5 million being raised by the MND Association to help cure this deadly disease and create a wealth free of MND? Well, I can say to the uh, Honourable Gentleman that um, my Honourable Friend, the Minister of State, is considering the proposal submitted by the Motor Neuron Disease Association on funding. Um, I hope we can give them response as soon as they can. And actually, I would like to congratulate him on the um, extraordinary work that he has done for the Motor Neuron Disease Association. <laughs> and, and hope that he continues to do so. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, this Sunday, Mr. Putin shut off all the oil supplies to a number of countries in Europe, um, threatening their energy and their, and their fuel supplies seriously. Um, would my honourable friend be kind enough to tell me what we are going to do in this country to ensure that we are not dependent on individuals who would seek to blackmail us with respect to energy, but become energy proficient and productive ourselves? I think that the point that my honourable friend makes is, is very important indeed. And today I am delighted that the European Commission, uh, following on the discussions that happened uh, at the Hampton Court informal um, summit uh, back in October, uh, 2005, the European Commission has put forward very important proposals today, both on climate change and protecting the environment, but also on energy security and supply. And I do think it is extremely important that we as a country um, make sure that our energy supply is secure for the long term. That, in my view, needs um, a diverse supply of energy. I think, therefore, the decisions that we will have to take when the Energy White Paper is published in March are very, very important. And I do say to the House again, we are going to need to make sure um, that replacing our nuclear power stations is one important part of this deal. But we have, over these past few months, we have signed contracts, for example, with Norway to guarantee 30% of our gas from Norway over the next few years. We, we um, are 
in the process, as, as I've just said, of replacing our nuclear power stations, but energy security for this country will be as important within the next decade as um, many of the crucial security issues have been in, uh, in, in, in the years past. And if we don't get these decisions right and get them right quickly, we will pay a very, very heavy price in the future. Guardian Unlimited.